Hey everyone, I'm Karen Walby Solomon, and welcome to What's IGN Crushing On, IGN Africa's official entertainment podcast. I'm your host, and I'm joined as always by my producer and editor Rebecca Barchers. So, this is a show where we discuss all things entertainment and pop culture with a new guest every week. We bring recommendations, news, and fun facts, sometimes touching on the more serious issues surrounding these topics. This week on the show, we were joined by Talia Goldberg. Talia is a creative director and strategist who has worked with many brands. She also runs a very popular newsletter, Curiously Curated. We spoke about the social dilemma, documentaries, and cults. So, but before we get to that, Rebecca, I don't know if yes. you've been following South African news lately. A little bit, a little bit. But um, but there was huge drama at Tin Roof. Did you see this? Oh my goodness! I only <laughs> heard, I only saw like a couple of headlines, but I don't actually know what happened. What happened? Basically, like a whole lot of youngsters. Went to Tinru and <laughs> I don't know if Tinru didn't adequately make sure that people were social distancing, but then again, mm. it is a club, so I don't know. Mm. And obviously, drinks are free, and quite a few people got COVID, including oh. a large number of matrics and a teacher. Whoa. I don't know if the teacher's like family of someone that got COVID or the teacher was yeah. at Tinru. Yeah, could could have been either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so the students, the matrix that got COVID, can only write in June next year, <gasps> which means like a whole like hey, whole dick. year has been delayed. But like in one night. So I was actually um. So I know you know, but like two of my nephews are in matrix this year. So I spoke to the one who was like mysteriously out. So I was like, I hope you wanted to turn the roof, and he's mm. like, weirdly enough. My friend wanted to go there after the COVID outbreak, but the reason he didn't go wasn't because of COVID, it was because he didn't have a lift. Imagine putting yourself at the risk like that for like, for dinner, not even for like a liquor club. I mean, okay, listen, it's a cool place. I've been there once, you I've know. Been there a lot, and it's never. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've been there mostly like between the ages of 18 and like 20. Okay. And is even a stretch, maybe like 18 and 19 and a half. But it was never like, you never went out to Tindouf. It's like you'd go to like Claremont and then it would be yeah. one stop because it's like free to get in. You know, maybe they'll play a nice jam and yeah. like the drinks were obviously cheap. I would never risk my life for it, like in the middle of a yeah. pandemic. In like, the yeah. No, I fully understand that. And the whole effort of actually having to you know, get the makeup out, get the good outfit out, you know, the whole sort of process of getting ready to go party of all the places to choose from, why would you specifically go there? But maybe just because places have been closed for so long, you kind of like, you take whatever you can get kind of situation. And maybe that's why they chose to just take the risk. But there's a lot of other places that are open <laughs> now. I don't know. It's like, also, I, what, um, yeah. no, I'm just like, you know, and okay, I don't understand, but like, I sort of maybe get, you know, a once in a lifetime type party situation, that, like yeah. an event that's only happening once, then maybe just, you know, like, 
maybe if a small place, you know, be lots of you don't know if it's gonna survive the pandemic, maybe risk your life for that. But yeah. I mean this tin roof is like a cockroach, like, oh, like the oh my gosh. roof is still going to be there. <laughs> Once your exams are over, tin roof is still gonna be there. Yeah. So draw by so your you friend's was... house. I'm sorry. Put on a Spotify playlist. Invite the boy you like over. <laughs> you know what I mean? You always have that one friend whose whose parents are kind of cool. So yeah, like, and there's a house to party. There's a house to party at. Don't go to this. You know? Do you remember yeah. how, the, how you how sticky the floor was? Oh my gosh! I was trying to explain this to my nephews, like like horror stories. I was like, there was always a layer of alcohol and glass like mm. on the floor. Mm. But there will still be people dancing barefoot. Personally, I don't remember <laughs> barefoot dances because I think that was past a certain hour that I allowed myself to be over there. But like barefoot dancing. What I find the most interesting about this is that you refer to these people as youngsters. Mm. You're right? And they are not that much younger than we are. I don't know. That's what I find interesting. But then again, you think of all the stupid like decisions you made 10 years ago. Fair enough. But I, I don't think I would have made such a stupid decision 10 years Neither. ago. To, to like, yeah, fair point. <laughs> okay. Case closed. Bunch of dum-dums. Okay. Um, but it also like, it made me think the things we do for the gram, man. Like, I can imagine how the, <laughs> how they like, oh, going out tonight. And I must say, like, ever since I had this interview with Talia and she was talking about, you know, like doing things for the gram and like the mm. effects of social media on children, on, on adults and everyone. Yeah. Like, it has made me think about things we agree to do, things we don't agree to do. Yeah. And like, and like what we show of, of ourselves on social media. I really oh, yeah. enjoyed this interview. Like, uh, like, she is a very interesting person to talk to and she knows a lot mm. about the industry and also like about things, man. Like, <laughs> the girl is red, she has listened to podcasts, she has watched yeah. it, she knows. But, yeah. um, I loved, I loved how at, towards the end, she just couldn't stop telling you. <laughs> like, she could, she, she got to the point where she had so many recommendations where she was just like, probably yeah, time I did, like, the, to call like, it quits. It was so easy talking to her. And I think I've had this problem with yeah. quite a few episodes. But like... <laughs> I think like, that's such a good thing. <laughs> we, I got so like into the conversation and I'm mm. like, I have to be watching the time or else we'll be talking forever. Like I knew I could probably yeah. go on for another two hours and I'll be like, oh no, we have to stop. So it was like, <laughs> I mean, we got to the point where it's like an hour in and we only just got to her recommendations of what you should watch. Yeah. Yeah. But that whole hour long of conversation was, at least for me while I was editing, was super interesting. Like... As you were saying, especially about social media and why why we should just sort of be more cognizant of what we're doing on it and how, how much time we spend um, tweeting and um, Instagramming and stuff like that. Mm. And what the purpose is, like why, why are we doing it? And the link to mental health. Generally, no one shares something of like, hey, I just had a week of staying in bed and being depressed. Because, mm. you know, like 90% of the time it's like, Hey, I just got a new cute puppy and that's one of the things I'm most jealous about <laughs> when people <laughs> when people brag about their new puppies. Like, okay, cool, you got a nice car, yeah, baby, yeah, engaged. But when a puppy shows up, I'm like, oh, that's the life. <laughs> <laughs> also on that note, uh, 
Let's get into our interview with Talia. So how have you been like have you been keeping busy during quarantine and lockdown and covid and all these things? I've been good. I've been keeping myself busy and occupied. Obviously it's been really weird and it kind of feels like a fever dream almost when I realized it was October. Um because it felt like end of March, like 26th of March lockdown started and I've been working um relaxing a little bit and like I looked up and it's like October and like there are Christmas decorations in stores <laughs> and it's like 2020 is gone like this year is like October November then we're on the beach in December and like the year is gone and I really don't feel like I've accomplished all the math and it's just been like one of the strangest years obviously um, and I think that we're going to look back on in like 10 15 years and be like remember 2020 <laughs> like barely <laughs> like barely like it was just like honestly like it's honestly like it's just the strangest year of all time and obviously everyone's had that experience um how everything has changed and shifted and like we're used to wearing masks to go out now and like sanitize our hands and wash our hands and try not to touch our face although i'd like I've realized I touch my face all day. Um, I did not know that I did that until I was told, you can't touch your face. And I was like, I literally, that's all I do all day. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. I was quite nervous to chat to you because you're like, um, (laughs) I think you're you're like this, um, like you're so well known in the industry. And and I know you're always on these like really serious businessy type podcasts, and I'm here with my, my like crazy talk a lot of nonsense thing. But um, I, that's not true about me being necessarily well known. And I have been on a few other podcasts, but I I have listened to your podcast and I love it. And to be honest, like the subject that you talk about are exactly what I love listening to and talking <laughs> about. So I was like really honest that you asked me to be on your podcast. <laughs> But like, I'm very interested to know, how did you yeah. get into like digital strategy? Because you almost like a pioneer in that industry. And I mean, I know there's a lot of people that do it, but I mean, not as like, as for, like as famously as you do. Um, how did I get into it? Um, I think, well, I was studying at UCT um, and I was studying marketing at UCT mm. um, I wanted to study fashion and anyway I got into UCT my parents were like oh you should apply and do like a serious degree um, and then you can do something creative afterwards because I was always very creative um, and I never got to do the creative thing afterwards but anyway um, I still do it I know I know I, I like still do it on the side but like I always wanted to study art or fashion and that like that did not happen for me um, but I went to UCT and I didn't realize at the time that I thought oh I'm doing a marketing course didn't realize the beginning part of that degree said business science and it was mm. going to be all economic stats finance accounting um game theory like there was almost no marketing in the course um it actually blew my mind like when i finished stats one i was like oh i'm gonna i'm done with stats forever now and they were like oh no there's stats two and then after that so i was like oh we're done with stats forever they're like no there's stats three <laughs> i was like you've got to be kidding me i hate this um <laughs> But a very fortunate thing that did come out of being at UCT was one of my lecturers. This like very random subject was called 
I just forgot what the name of the subject was. But he was basically talking about Web 2.0. Um, that's like literally what social media was called at the time. And this was mm. like 2008. And he was talking about Twitter. And he like pulled up the screen of Twitter. And there was this bluebird. And people were tweeting about like, what they had for breakfast and like it was just so bizarre and I was like this sounds amazing so I signed up I mean I had been on MySpace I loved MySpace um signed up to Facebook quite early enjoyed it but like I never thought it was as great as MySpace um and then I got on Twitter and I was probably like one of like the first few South Africans on it and I think I realized quite early on in marketing and so what I was studying like that this these new things like Facebook and Twitter and using them for your brand was Mm -hmm. was an amazing way to like market yourself um, because no one else was really doing it at the time. So I interned for that lecture for a while. I did like quite a lot of internships while I was at UCT. I did another internship for a month at an agency called Stonewall, which has become native. um, And the guy I was supposed to intern with he landed up actually resigning and they basically gave me his job oh. um, because when and at the time when you went to work at a digital agency, that meant they were building websites and like a really cool website was a flash website, which would not work anymore. <laughs> no one downloads flash. Um, so basically he was, so they, that's what they did. They did graphic design for all these websites and these mobile sites. And that was so cool. And there was literally one guy doing social media, um, and then ended up giving me most of his job. And then after my month was up and I was going back to UCT, they were like, we haven't found anyone to replace him yet. Um, well, can we pay you to continue to do this in your spare time? So oh, that's I amazing. Up. I know. So that was like literally my first paid job that literally came off this one month of working for free at this agency. And it was so great. Um, and it was like working on a lot of alcohol brands. And I was basically just sitting and tweeting. Like it was really bizarre. Um, and at the same time, I had also kind of started a blog, which kind of got a little bit of traction. And through that, I landed up meeting the brand manager we did from Sunglass Hat. And mm. we met and chatted. And she was basically, she was one of like, I thought one of the first people in South Africa from the brand side who really understood like the power of influencers and social media and Twitter. And she basically said to me, look, we don't have anyone here who understands Twitter or digital marketing. Would you tweet for Sunglass Hat? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. So like I set up the Sunglass Hat essay. I set up their Twitter and I used to tweet for them. And that was one of the jobs I had for a while. And then also I landed up at one point I was doing like the Mr. Delivery social media when they rebranded and and so like I got in very early when I was at UCT and could like really afford mm-hmm. like I say afford to work um like that. But the truth was I was I was earning a lot of money. But the problem was I was sort of failing courses at UCT. Um and I was very lucky that my parents paid for me to do this amazing degree, but if I failed the course, they made me pay to mm. redo the course. And I very quickly realized how expensive <laughs> these courses were when I was earning money and it had to spend like almost all of it to like redo like stupid, stupid courses. Um, and because like for some reason, it always landed up with Mr. Delivery. They would send out, they'd be sending out this promo to like 30,000 people email newsletter. And like the social media would blow up immediately afterwards. And that was always the day that I'd like left to study for a stats test. 
from three to five. And that's the time gosh. I needed to be there. Like, oh my and gosh. It, and it was, and like, it's just so different, like how social media was then and now. And I just like really enjoyed. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then I had my own brand for a while. Um, and I blogged and I've just like always loved social media and like the amazing things that can come out of it. I mean, I think that the logic sense it has become quite negative, but I still see the positive of it. Mm-hmm. And I think just like the most amazing thing is that it is free and that you can connect with the most amazing people because of it and you can just learn so much from it and just have so much fun on it like if you structure it correctly yeah that's so true I mean I was talking to somebody recently and they were like talking about the toxicness of Twitter and I was like Twitter is the place that I've not only met but I've just heard voices that I know I would never have heard of like yeah I mean, I don't even think I knew anyone from the Northern Cape before Twitter. <laughs> like, even like locally, <laughs> like not even internationally. <laughs> like, that's, that's how social media is. I mean, social media is amazing. Twitter is amazing. I would delete every single social media thing tomorrow and keep Twitter. Like, if you force me tomorrow, then I would delete Facebook, Instagram. I could, like, you could take it now. Like, I literally would not care. But like Twitter is the one that I would like really fight you because I find I get so much value out of it. Um, and it's not just relationships with people you meet or you see. Um, every, I, I get all my news, all my information. And I mm. think that people do find it to be a toxic case when you don't really get it. And also yeah. when you don't use the block function. Like the block function is there for a reason. So is mute. Um, and I do think there is a problem where this echo chamber and the rabbit hole where people only follow people who have the same opinion as them. Mm. And I don't think that's what we should be doing. I like actively follow people whose opinion I don't yeah. um, necessarily agree with because I think it gives you better arguments of being able to understand different sides of an issue. But like there are also people who are racist, homophobic and just horrible, toxic people that you don't need on your feed. And yeah. then you can just, block it's so true it's like you know they always say like you can't like cut out people you know that you don't agree with but the problem is if 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 the reason you don't agree with them is because they undermine other people's human rights so that's a that's a that's another issue and that's a good enough reason to keep them out of your your space but i mean somebody who just like who likes it like i don't know i'm trying to think of of a less serious issue Swifties. (laughs) Swifties. Yeah. <laughs> <Like> Swifties. <laughs> yeah, somebody likes a, a like a, a singer that you don't. Like I mean, or music type that you don't. That's that's silly, you know. Let people yeah, just mute the word Taylor Swift if you rarely find it so offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Not that hard. <laughs> so what would you say has been like your highlights of your career this far? The highlight of my career. Oh, I I don't know if I have a particular highlight. I think I've done lots of work that I'm really proud of um, mm. and that I've enjoyed. And I started putting it together on an Instagram account so that I have a portfolio because I think a lot of the time people don't know what I do at all. Um, and I think everything that I did with Nifty, I'm just Nifty 250 back in the mm. day. I'm just really proud of the fact that that came from pretty much my imagination and my partner, Lucas. Um, and that we really built something that people really responded to and resonated with. 
And then I do see a lot of what comes through has, I do see oftentimes brands took some inspiration from it. Um, yeah. You can use the word inspiration. Um, but I don't know, there's no, that was like those kind of things and not even career highlights, but just like the connections I've made, people I've met and the opportunities I've gotten. I feel like really blessed at how many people have taken so many chances on me um mm-hmm. when i don't know what like i don't know if they had self-belief or they saw my self-belief or they just i don't know what it was but like so many people gave me so many chances when i didn't necessarily have a track record to prove that i should be like the head of digital marketing for this or i should be the creative director of that like, i didn't have any other than i could talk the talk and i felt like i knew what was the right thing to do I was extremely young and the fact that they gave me those opportunities I'm just Mm. really grateful that I got them and then I kind of just did them and I just ran with them because I've always had this thing it's like you get thrown in the deep end you're either going to sink or swim and I'm not going to sink so I'm going to figure this out I mean there's Google (laughs) (laughs) I was I was thinking as you were talking about nifty like well when you still had the brand I I got, I'd gotten like a voucher as a gift and I had an entire wall of my childhood bedroom was like pictures that I printed. And I'm like, you actually created like a design style in people's homes. <laughs> I like, honestly, that's like my best thing in the whole world. Like when I would go to someone's office or I like made a new, like I met someone or a friend of a friend, I would go to their house and I would look at the fridge and there was a nifty print. Like, that just like honestly was one of those things that like I don't want to say like filled me with pride but like it was really really cool to see because no one at the time was doing those that yeah. style with the Polaroid so like I knew it was nifty it was, and like even the creamery like we had a trade exchange with them where like they they would give us ice cream in exchange for um prints and like the amount of times I would go into the store and see people taking pictures of the pictures um mm. which is so amazing what would be your ideal brand to work with, like, like dream brand, anybody? My dream brand in South Africa for a very long time has been Discam. Oh, wow. I mean, Discam is just, I am obsessed with Discam. <laughs> I spend way too much money in there. I think everyone knows, like, you go to Discam for one yes. thing, you come out with 40. Um it's just the prices are unbelievable. The stock is unbelievable. I think it's, oh, I don't want to be rude about them, but I think it's terribly merchandised. Um, there's not a good experience. Like some of the areas you go into and it looks like they just threw things on a shelf. Yeah. And you just have, and some of the things are so random. You're just like, how did this land up in this store? Like especially like the bins as you like walking through the aisles through the um to pay like there's some random shit there like <laughs> random but I like I've always I like I've always been into like vegan and gluten-free and sugar-free like even though I'm not in like the healthiest space right now and I used to be like obsessed with wellness warehouse and I love these for mm. nature but even just game like they help out like they have some really cool stuff and I love looking at the packaging and the different products um and even their vitamin section I, I just love and like the beauty section and they have lots of vegan, cruelty-free um, shampoos and conditioners. I just love going to see what they have. And I just think, like, from their branding perspective, like, they could just do such a better job than they're doing. Like, I don't watch, like, I, don't, I haven't had a TV 
in probably like eight or nine years. So I haven't seen ads in a very long time. But when like Cyril was doing the speeches for coronavirus, I was kind of streaming it on um, Showmax. And I was like SABC3, I think. And like there were some disc game ads in between. And I was like, wow, like, is this it? <laughs> like, it just could have been so much better. Like, I think there's such great products. Like, there's, the prices are amazing. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at the Instagram, but like, it's really like. No, I didn't even know that, they had one. Yeah, it's very upsetting. <laughs> because like if you go and Google like like if you go Google like this game is owned by two um very old an old married couple as far as I know in Johannesburg. Um who've had it for a million years and like their revenue is in the billions, their profit is in the billions and it's like we could do something so fun here. <laughs> and then like my second South African brand, if I can't get this camera, would probably be clicks. Um, oh, okay. the Tresemme, hair, Southern. <laughs> just because, like, someone, I need to go there. Like, I just want to go into a click boardroom. And I just want someone to explain to me why their logo is a unicorn. Like, where did the unicorn come from? I just want to hear the backstory because I've Googled it. I've read on their website. Like, I've never found an explanation that would explain, like, how they came up with it. Like, it makes no sense. Like, they're a pharmacy. Why is it a unicorn? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like know how to like look at the I didn't even realize but that's it was the thing. like whenever I tell people it's a unicorn people are like what are you talking about like <laughs> I've never thought that it's a unicorn but it really is a unicorn it's not like a horse like Ferrari it's a proper unicorn <laughs> it's Clicks also a South African band Clicks is a South African brand oh, okay. as far as I know and then like internationally my three my top three brands if like I'm dreaming in the whole world, or obviously the Apple would be the one. Um, and I'm like, Nike is my greatest obsession. I just think that everything they do is just perfect. Like from the branding to the merchandise, to the advertising, to the people that sponsor. Um, I think it's really interesting their influencer strategies that they basically don't work with influencers at all. And they only really work with, athletes and like DJs um, mm. and people who are like quite fashionable um, or in the fashion set but like for a very very long time they have not worked with influencers it's kind of started to change lately whereas like I found that Adidas is really going very full onto the influencers um, okay. but Nike is just my absolute dream I think between between just do it and that tick mm. that swish I mean like how it's just perfect it's just like there are no brands that are that perfect <laughs> and then like the third one that i'm really really obsessed with is um louis vuitton just because <sighs> there's a documentary called louis vuitton and mark jacobs and you kind of see him go behind the scenes at louis vuitton and the head offices in paris and then his office in Mark Jacobs in New York when he was working there mm. and it just looks like the most fantastic place because like budget is not a thing oh. um, and like anything artistic any crazy idea you have you have all these amazing artists designers embroidery silk specialists they come in and it's it's not fashion it's art it's like what they mm. present on the runway for these things is literally is art pieces of art made by like these people who have these crafts that have been passed down in French families for like hundreds of years and it's everything is so beautiful I think it's such a change from 
you know, like fast fashion, mm. which is not ethically made and it's not made to last in any way. And it's not really, I mean, obviously it's not art, um, it's clothing. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, so those are like the three brands that I'm like really like the most pretty much inspired by. <laughs> I can see it. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about the social dilemma. Yeah. Like, I honestly think that there's nobody better to talk about it than you. But, um, so this one just like, why do you think this documentary, like, shook so many people? Like, I've never, I mean, obviously, we've been talking about algorithms and social media and, you know, the, those kind of things. But after this documentary, I've never heard, like, so many, like, normal people talking about <laughs> how much social media affects your daily life. So why do you think it had that effect? Well, were you shocked by it? No, I, I don't think I was really that shocked. Um, yeah, that's how I felt. I was more shocked that other people were that shocked. Yeah. I wasn't shocked. But it's, I also do know that the, like all the topics discussed in the film are things that I'm fascinated by and I read a lot about. Um, so there was there was nothing in that film that was new to me at all. But I do think, look, I have, I do kind of have a problem with all documentaries at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're just all extremely, extremely biased, whether mm-hmm. it's a documentary about Western medicine and big pharma, or whether it's about a vegan diet or fast food or fast fashion. I think they are all incredibly biased to the point that they want to <laughs> sell you on, yeah. um, whether they want to do stuff buying fast fashion whether they think that you should 100% eat vegan I think that these documentaries have like no real middle ground and I think that they really are trying to shock you Mm. I can't see what they were trying to get out of the social dilemma other than getting people to delete social media which is not going to happen because I think as they illustrated quite well people are addicted to it Mm. but I think that a lot of people I guess have not been reading up about this and I think that they can see the effect that that they're on their phones a lot and it's the first thing they look at when they wake up and it's the last thing that they look at before they go to sleep but I don't think they realized how engineered that was yeah like how engineered that they send you an email when you've been tagged in a photo or your notifications come up um and those little things that keep you coming back and hooks on it mm. um I, I think that people didn't realize it was that much and I don't think in the film that they necessarily explain polarization all that well um I think they could have done a better mm. job of that I don't know if you listen to the podcast um rabbit hole by the New York Times no um but it's really really excellent and it talks about um this guy who basically watches his white American kind of dropped out of college, maybe 21, 22, um, goes back to his hometown, takes a job kind of packing boxes, nothing too amazing, kind Mm. of like a little bit of a failure is his feeling. Um, And he starts watching YouTube videos. And I think a lot of people didn't realize like kind of the YouTube algorithm and how they changed the algorithm where they basically – they changed it so that you would watch for longer and you would stay on their website for longer. How do you get someone to stay on a website 
for longer and not leave and be like, oh, I could go watch TV or mm. I could go for a walk. Or I could do anything other than watch YouTube. And it was like, we're going to give you more and more insane content. Um, so they were no longer showing you. They were really radicalizing people with this, with this content that people really shouldn't have been seeing. Mm. Um, yet that was the content that was coming up. And I mean, I realized it a long time ago on my YouTube that I was getting recommended the craziest things. It wasn't like another makeup tutorial or another mm. architectural digest home tour. It was like, I don't even want to try and make up a name for what I was seeing, but it was like, <laughs> it was all sordid or murder or incest or affairs. What? And no, like, like it was, everything was like, it wanted you to click on it and it wanted you to watch it. Um, so I, th- I think for me, because I'm on social media and I work on it and I work on the brand side and I work and I do have my own personal social media, I think that I'm very much aware of what's happening and I, I try to consume mm-hmm. content mindfully and I try to create content mindfully. So I'm very aware of how all of these things work where I think a lot of other people, it's a little bit, I don't want to say it's mindless, but they mm-hmm. aren't looking so much at how the system is working. And I think when it's, kind of put into an hour and a half film like this and people see just the effects that it's having if I was a parent of like really young kids who were getting a phone I would honestly be terrified yeah because like I think about me having I mean I had my space when I was in the trick and, mm. and then first year and we would take pictures on our little point and shoot like pink camera and then I would go and I would <laughs> the same one. I, and I it's the best and it was the best but I would get home when I was drunk and that was all cool and then I would wake up in the morning open the camera put it on the computer mm. shoot 40 of the best photos <laughs> not one 40 and make a Facebook album out of it but like I only had I don't know how many friends there wasn't like thousands of people yeah And I I think the thing now is being able to go live. Um, And they show that in the one episode of Rabbit Hole, and they talk about like that New Zealand um, shooter. And it's just terrifying. Like, it's not even going live and being like, oh, let's me and you have a chat. Like, it's terrifying what can go on live. And that when you're 16, 17, and you're making these like really stupid decisions, and maybe you're drunk or you're high or whatever the situation is, and you go on live and you say or do some stuff that you would really regret. Um, I don't think that people, at 16, 17, you don't realize that what you say and do Mm. can't be taken out of context. And once it's on the internet, it's there forever. And you can't erase it. And I think people are going to have such big problems with employment and work when everything is Googleable now. Yeah. Like that stuff didn't exist when I was needed to go get my first job. Now, if an employee wants to hire me, they can search me and they can find stuff and I but I don't think that when you're a teenager you're that aware of thinking about the future mm. so I think so we went very off topic <laughs> <laughs> no but it's so true I was also thinking now I was like I was like oh my gosh I used to upload those like thunder.com pictures but if yes. it was an, if it was ugly it's fine I'm not downloading that ugly one only only if it looked like it's really good I mean that and also I don't know if you ever were run or have ever done runs but like they sometimes take pictures of you and then after the run you can go and you search like yeah. your 
badge number and you're like, oh, that's a hideous photo. Definitely not downloading that one. <laughs> Uh, um, but I think for me also the part that I don't know about scared me but I'm like I'm not a mom or anything but how it affects children like the part of the of the documentary with like like the the stage part where the girl was like trying to knock open the thing because she wanted to get hold of her phone yeah or like the the boy watching the videos I mean I have a nephew who's about 13 who's, who's obsessed with YouTube and yeah. and I do while I'm like what what's going to happen? Like I don't know where what he watches. I mean I'm not his parent, so I, it's not really yeah. my responsibility. But I mean I don't know what he watches, but also you don't know what route that might take. But then again, I'm it, also like I'm but I also don't want to look long for videos, Tali. I wanna yeah. like I, I like the fact that they suggest, if they suggest videos that are like similar to something I'm watching and I wanna watch yeah. more, it's easier than going to go search. So in that way, I sort of understand the algorithm. Yes. I mean, so I think that was also, those things were scary. I think the other very scary thing in The Social Dilemma was the girl not being happy with her appearance. Yeah. And I think that we had, like, those filters on Instagram are a fuck up. Like, those Mm. filters on Instagram, the fact that I can put it in front of my face and look flawless. I mean, I'm not even talking about Facetune that I must go take a non-flawless photo of myself and Facetune the shit out of it. I'm talking, I just literally put it over my face and everything. Yeah. Like my, my eyes are brighter, my eyes are bigger, my nose is smaller. Like, I look like beyond the best version of me that like, I have, do not have the money for plastic surgery or skincare to afford. Like, I will never look like that. Um, and I think I realistically understand body image and all of that but for people who are much younger and are much more affected by that it is terrifying that you can maybe only look at yourself through a filter and you don't then like what you see in the reflection in the mirror because you want to look like the filter version of you and I, yeah. I mean I also if you think about Instagram just I mean, I think makeup is amazing but I do think to a point I don't know if you've noticed I feel like and there was a big article in New Yorker about it, but like Instagram face, where everyone kind yeah. of wants to face, like people have contoured their faces to all look the same. Like you'll see a picture of people and they're all friends and somehow mm. they all have the same face. Their face, but like with makeup, I mean, when they don't have makeup, they look like individuals. Yeah. And then when they have makeup, they somehow they have the same eyebrow, the same contour, the same color looks. It's It's kind of creepy to me. Like, that that's the aspiration is to kind of all blur into one person. It's wild. I mean, but, yeah, but wild. Do you see things changing? No. I just, I, I, I can't see it changing in any way. I think that they've let Facebook get way too big. Mm. Facebook is now, Facebook is now not just Facebook. It's also WhatsApp. It's Instagram. Yeah. It's making extremely good money. The American government can't rein it in. I mean, maybe in the EU setting and the UK are setting some good laws around social media. But, I mean, there was an, an insane case in South Africa with a girl being stalked via Facebook and stuff. Mm. And I don't think that her parents got any help from facebook helping her in the situation and i think that you we can understand that if there are a billion people on facebook and even if facebook has 30 40 50 60 000 moderators they're never going to be able to 
actually moderate content from a billion people like how would that work mm. and i don't think it's in their invested interest to change the algorithm to make you less addicted to it because then that just drives down their revenue because they only get revenue if they're ads and they're only going to be ads if people are on it so i don't know how it can change other than people actively seeing how negatively it can affect you but also mm. how pos- the positives that you can get out of social media and then really understanding that it's an addictive thing and that you will want to use it more but almost you almost need an app to like and i mean they do exist with the timers that you should only be yeah. on social media an hour and all of those and that's all good but realistically i think everyone <laughs> click fast and ignore ignore ignore, ignore <laughs> like they want to be on instagram and i don't know i think it's I mean, I personally know that the happier I am, the less I'm on social media and the more unhappier I am, like when I'm not in a good space mm. and I can be on my phone all day and I'm searching and I'm doomsday scrolling and I'm watching everyone else's so-called perfect lives um, and it's making me less and less happy. And like when I'm really at my happiest, I'm out, I'm seeing my friends, I'm going for coffee, I'm busy, I'm taking a couple of pictures, which I post later but I definitely for myself see the correlation between being happy and being on social media less and then being mindful like well I I'm a grown adult um and I know that this affects me negatively yeah. but I kind of I've just recently moved into a new flat that has a bath which is like the best thing ever and I've literally been leaving my phone on silent in another room and going and having a bath for like an hour and reading my book and it's just so wonderful mm. not be on my phone all the time because I do so much work on my phone also throughout the day and just to get like an hour because I've also found my attention span for reading books has decreased yeah immensely I used to be able to like devour a book I used to be able to just take a book and like I would be done in a day or two I like I couldn't stop reading but then I never had a phone that was beeping at me constantly or mm. I never had Twitter to check and I never had Instagram to check and I didn't have all these, like, it's just crazy how many more distractions we have now. And I don't think it's necessary for the better. No, like, I'm the same. Like, like I'm a heavy reader. I always have been. But right now, especially during, like, this time, I have had to, like, set aside time to read. Like, I have to, like, specifically make sure my phone is in a different room. This is my <laughs> reading time or else I will not read. Because everyone's like, how, how are you finishing books? How are you finishing books? And like, I'm like, I have, like, I can't not. Because you also have to realize that like, when you start a book, it's not necessarily gripping in the beginning. You have to yeah. stick with it for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and before, I will get a bit bored or I wouldn't understand or something like that. And I would immediately reach for my phone. But yeah. like, I have to stop myself from doing that. But like, do you think that, the pandemic made people more dependent on social media because my screen time has been like wild. I can't. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I think it has. And I think between all social media and then throwing in zoom, mm. I think that for people who have like our age or who had a job before, um, going to the office or whether you're a freelance and you work at a co-working space or you just went and sat at a coffee shop, however you worked, you did have some form of like yeah. human, like human communication um, 
And I think those like that's the most important thing where the Zoom thing is so weird and it's breaking up and it's it's the whole thing feels so awkward and you feel so isolated. Mm. Um I just remember I don't know if you remember, but like right at the beginning of lockdown when it just started happening, all these celebrities and stuff were and brands were doing lives and like yeah. a live yeah. a live with John Lent legend and um what do this and do that and do this live gym class because I felt like people like really wanted the sense of connection that they were doing something with other people at the same time because really they were just at home doing nothing <laughs> um and it's like I think like when it was that hot, stage five lockdown I mean that was extremely hard and it's not like we it's not like the Africans had like a ton of time to prepare that they could go and buy arts and crafts or books mm. and like e-commerce was closed like you couldn't like like when I think about that it's just so crazy like like if you didn't have a good book at home you couldn't read a good book like unless they can pay a Woolworths for selling like one or a magazine um <laughs> you literally had to make do with what you had um and I think that must have been extremely difficult for um people with teenagers or young kids to like keep them occupied for that amount of time and I think often the easiest thing is to just throw a phone or throw a tablet and whether it's YouTube or Netflix or playing a game it, it, and I also think I can't imagine now right now having to have a job and have kids and homeschool them and, yeah. and I also just don't understand how like people were like affording to buy another laptop or computers for these kids who also needed to be online and the amount of internet and in terms of South Africa and like inequality like I just don't understand like I feel like so many kids are going to have been left behind um by this because we don't have like I'm struggling with my internet now and I can afford good internet yeah. I have a MacBook and I, my, my Zoom still freezes <laughs> um so I have like I have the best setup possible like and it's not that not necessarily working. So how important do you think it is to take breaks from social media? I think it's like the most important thing ever. I think I think it's so, 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 so important. So what I've been trying to do for a couple of months now is I try to have like one day on the weekend where I just don't go on my phone at all. And mm. I've been meaning to buy it and I haven't actually bought it. It's just like a very old school Nokia. They sell them pep and I think it costs like 280 rand and it's got like 12 buttons. It even has a color screen. Um, and I'm just going to like be using that on the weekend so that like I can text that I can make a phone call. Mm. Um, because I think, I think giving yourself that break, because I, I, I think we don't realize that we almost have Stockholm syndrome to the social media. Like we love it and we think it's mm. so great for us. But when you're not on it, you're like, well, life is so wonderful. Um, I just think being present and being around people. I mean, I went for breakfast with someone I hadn't seen in a while um, recently. And she sat on her phone for most of the time. And firstly, I think it's just really disrespectful. Mm. And I I mean, I was like, I, we're having breakfast. Like, why are you on? You're, like, I just find it rude and I try not to do it. Like, I know yeah. that I can be on my phone and I always like taking a picture of my food or my coffee, but then I always try to turn it over, put it down on the table, and then like rarely be present with the person who's there. But people really are addicted to it. And I think it really sucks for the other people who are in that situation when you do feel like you're being ignored by someone mm. who's supposedly in the room with you. And it's like, like we could have hung out the entire day and like been together, but like, one of us or both of us were on the phone the whole time 
like we didn't it wasn't really quality time <laughs> yeah because you're like so engrossed in this whole other world that's happening but i think that people don't have necessarily perspective that like what's happening now is real life not what's happening in the phone it's so true like after level one having to, getting to see people again i yeah. um like I went, I like I went out with a few friends, and I was like, I didn't even take any photos. <laughs> like yeah. nobody knows I was with them. And then I go on Instagram, and I see all these other people going out, and they pictures, and I'm like, I look like I have no life. But I was like, <laughs> but I also had the best day ever. Yeah, like, nobody else needs to know about the good day I had, other than me and the people I was with. I think that sometimes almost like a self esteem thing that like mm-hmm. you don't necessarily feel like. I often find, I, I mean, I don't, I feel like it's true in like relationships. I sometimes find that people who post the most about their relationships are often the most unhappy and it's kind mm. of like self-validate their yeah. the relationship and the existence like, oh, I really love you and behind the scenes it's terrible. And then it's, I think kind of sometimes feel like it's the same with social media. It's kind of like they're not necessarily in a good space so everything feels like quite braggy, braggy. Um, mm. But sometimes when the person's not on social media at all, it's like they're having the best time ever. And you're just too, like, I know when I'm having the best time ever, I'm too busy to be social mediaing to take pictures. Because I just want to be with the people that I'm with. Mm. No, okay. That's such a healthier way to look at it. Not that I'm, <laughs> not that I'm a loser. <laughs> Looks like I'm, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, talk about Instagram. Like, I am, yes. okay, this is just, I'm like, I'm really Instagram stupid, so I'm just gonna, I feel like people will will, will knock me if I don't ask you this, but um, <laughs> talking about influencers. So I must say, like, I must admit, Orphan, I am, I am terrible with influencers. Before I worked at Cosmo, I had no idea who was who. And, yeah. <laughs> and then I had to get like a crash course really quickly. And now I've, I've got a better idea, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> So how do you think that the influencer landscape is going? Where do you think it's going to go in South Africa? Because, I mean, it, it feels like there's just so many. I mean, really, like someone who's coming to it late to keep up with everybody. And like, yeah. but I do feel like, like, I do feel like I'm influenced by people on social media. And I mean, I'm not yeah. always in a negative light, in a positive way too. There's so many great things that I've learned, so many things products that I've bought that I've really loved that I've seen on like social media on Twitter on Instagram and you buy an air fryer uh, yeah <laughs> very <laughs> close very close my mom has been nagging for an air fryer so yeah I think that's gonna happen soon <laughs> or a one part <laughs> instant part not one part instant part <laughs> I think um um, so I think there's like some very interesting things happening in the influencer space. I've definitely noticed in the last two to three months that a lot of the brands I was working with at the beginning of the year completely paused in March. Um, mm-hmm. Like marketing budgets were like, Woo-hoo! like we don't even know if we're going to be able to pay our staff. We're not spending this money into marketing. I have noticed within the last three months, I can see that the brands are going hard on influencers and are spending a lot of money, which makes me really happy because one of the biggest problems for me with influencer marketing for a very long time has been the lack of kind of transparency around paying and for a very, very long time. It was very much seen as 
almost like a trade exchange, like this brand. And they'll always approach the brand, will always approach the person and say, oh, we're doing a collab. And I'm like, mm. what is your version of a collab? Oh, we'll give you free product and you'll post about it. And I'm like, that's not really um, a collaboration in any way. Um, uh, so it is very nice that brands are currently have started to pay for content. I think that gives the industry, it makes it a lot more viable because I think a lot of people wanted to be influencers because they see other influencers' content and think and they aspire to that lifestyle and mm. a lot of younger and teenagers, like they all want to be YouTubers and are inspired by these YouTubers who share their insane houses and their cars. Mm. And the reality of it is that you have as much chance of becoming a successful influencer or a successful YouTuber as you have becoming like the next Serena Williams or mm. Tiger Woods. Like there really are only a few people in every industry, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf, whether it's art, whether it's home music, or if you look at how many musicians make millions and millions of dollars, yeah. like it's always going to be a handful of people. And the thing that my problem with the influencers for a very long time is that people saw influencers and often they came from very affluent families or from wealthy families and there was other money behind that and I think mm. people thought oh they're making so much money being an influencer and they're going on this amazing trip and they're getting this and that and I I'm looking from the perspective that that trip was free um or that was a family holiday or um <laughs> That, that that clothing brand gave them a lot of free stuff. Also, back in the day, people used to go to places like Country Road and Witchery and wear the stuff and then return it. Um, we oh, won't wow. talk about that. Yeah, no, that kind of stuff happened. Um, and taking pictures of it. And it was very much me selling like this false kind of lifestyle that mm. wasn't. And then a whole lot of other people got into it because everyone wanted that lifestyle and they wanted these sunglasses and this trip and this car and to have this much money and that it's that that's kind of a problem and it's the other thing that I find kind of very strange and interesting about the influencer space in South Africa is a lot of the content is about yay I got a brand deal like yeah. oh my god thank you guys so much for your support this brand is like I'm working with this brand and this brand is finally paying me and all of this and it's so weird because if you think about influences in America or the UK or Australia that I follow a lot in Europe, um, none of them are ever talking about, oh, yeah, I just booked a campaign, even if it's to be like the face of Lancome or mm. whatever. It's, they just post the content because that's seen as a job. But in South Africa, it's been so backwards for such a long time in terms of no one has gotten paid or the people who've got paid has literally been about 10 to 20 people who made who have been making really good money mm. while the rest of the people have very much still had a nine-to-five job or a freelance job or some other side hustle um and have not been able to like necessarily make it a viable business and I think that a lot of people thought for a long time that this was a viable business but I have I've been pulling rate cards for some other brands and it's been very interesting to see I'm seeing this huge spread also that there are a lot of people completely I don't want to say overvaluing themselves but asking for an amount of money that is just wildly outrageous for 
the amount of followers they have and for the, the amount of engagement they have. Then I have other people who will send me a rate card and they want to charge 150 rand for a YouTube video. And <gasps> like, it's not necessarily my job. Like I'm speaking on the brand's behalf. So I want the brand to obviously get the biggest bang for their buck. But like I've often turned around and emailed them. And I'm saying like, like, you really could increase your price to X, Y, Z or triple it or do this. And they'll, and they'll, and I said, just please like increase your prices and send it back to me and then I'll pass it on to the brand. Just because like, I don't want them to also feel like, for me, like you can't create a YouTube video for 150 mm. rand. You can't. Like your data to upload that video costs you more than 150 <laughs> rand. Like you paid for a camera, you paid for lighting, mm. it's your time. Like, and it's, it, it is, it is young, very young people getting into this who don't necessarily see the value for what they're doing because that's just the cost of creating the content. That's not even what the brand is getting in terms of the mind of eyeball seeing this and also the brand often has the right then to use that content for their platforms also. And if the brand wanted to go and create that video and get a stylist, an art director, mm. an editor, a director, it will cost them like thousands, if not hundreds of thousands yeah. to make these kind of videos with a model. Like and they're getting this authentic content. So I have just found that there is there are just like still like these very big gaping holes within the industry and I and there hasn't really been like really great management from management of influencers and like mm. their rate cards and how they're charging and it hasn't necessarily also been really good management from brand and agency side. A lot of the time they're still asking for trade exchange way past the point where that's a good idea mm. um and i i just do hope that once brands especially i think now after the coronavirus and people have been shopping a lot more online when it's shopping online it's a lot easier to prove sales especially when they're coupon codes and stuff and referral fees mm. and links that you can track how many times someone clicked and you can really then actually measure influence because i think for a long time people have not been really measuring the success of their campaigns and whether someone because some often people have beautiful content and they get thousands and thousands of likes and they get great engagement and that often unfortunately has to do with the, the per, it's not unfortunate but the person is very aesthetically pleasing like they mm. are just a very beautiful person and that's what people are liking not necessarily that the person is influencing them in any way to buy this detergent or this bag because they're just really good looking so they have a lot of followers because people enjoy following people who are really good looking but in terms of like measuring influence do they sell Mm. I don't think that has that I think that still is kind of yet to be proven and I think once the brand's starting to work out like who actually drives sales like someone like Monero with the air fryer like the mm. fact that she's not sponsored to the heels with air fryers like coming out of her ears is just insane <laughs> I mean how many air fryers has that woman sold like through herself and then by other people who have bought it saying oh my yeah. god this is the best thing I've ever bought how many more has sold because she started kind of that conversation but it is like so true so i mean yeah you can't really judge influence by like how many followers somebody has no because i mean there's people with like almost over like hundred thousand followers who don't have that same sort of i mean 
I've seen people that do like follow for follows and then have like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's easy to get a lot of followers if you do it like that or you buy followers. Yeah. Buy followers. Like I, I remember finding out about people buying followers and just being absolutely shocked. Like that never even crossed my mind that that was mm. something that it was possible to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you can see very easily now when someone has bought their followers. But it's, it's, and I, I think that's why this industry kind of needs more people who've worked on, and I've started seeing it, a lot of people who've worked on kind of the influencer side of things and have done it from their own perspective and mm. are creative people starting to work at the agencies or with the agencies and really being able to craft really good briefs and really understanding like, oh, if we pay this person, like these are the results we're going to get and this person really is actually influential. <laughs> Yeah, not someone who bought like fifty thousand followers. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Let's talk about curiously created. So, why did you decide to start a, the newsletter? Why did I? Um, because I get bored really easily, um, <laughs> and I was in the midst of deciding to resign at my job. I felt like I felt that was coming along, mm. and I always like to have something new and something going. I'm I'm someone who like just really loves starting things. I don't necessarily like finishing them or working on them continuously. I do enjoy. Um, starting new things and it seemed like a good distraction um, oftentimes starting new things is a great form of procrastination for me um, so it's like oh I should be doing this but like let me just start a newsletter um, so I started the newsletter because I also had realized at the time that I had about the same follow amount of followers on Instagram and Twitter but actually they were completely different groups of people like they mm. almost like there are a couple of people follow me from Twitter who follow me on Instagram and a couple of people follow me on Instagram on Twitter also but for the most part people on Instagram were not seeing the content that I was sharing on Twitter and I felt like the content I'm sharing on Twitter was really the interesting things that I was reading and I'm not someone who just wants to share just random stuff all the time I do hope that if people follow me they can find they can read something engaging or they can learn something or that I can share a podcast episode that they'll really enjoy or a recipe or a new coffee place I've always kind of wanted in that way to add value and not be someone mm. who's like always hunting something or selling something so I was like well let me just start the newsletter with all the stuff that I've been finding and sharing on Twitter and kind of see what happens and I really thought that I would get, I don't know, like 150, maybe 200 subscribers. Like I really didn't think it was going to get to so many people so quickly. But the response has been really good. And like, it's just so great to see people. I think the open rate's like just over 50%. So people are like really, people are really like opening it and I can see they're clicking and they're reading. And like if a couple of people are finding really good information and sharing it on, it kind of makes me happy because I mean, at the end of the day, it is a lot of work, but whether I shared that or not, like I'm still consuming that yeah. amount of content every week. I actually consume a lot more than that because that's kind of like the curated version down. But it also like the great thing about it has been that it has also pushed me to read more, listen to more podcasts find better content like when other people recommend something I write it down and then I go back to it and for me it's been great because I've consumed 
amazing new things. And I think that's what's amazing about social media is finding those kind of recommendations. And I think a lot of people who aren't on Twitter anymore, I find Instagram, there isn't a lot of substance beyond Mm. beautiful pictures and beautiful pictures are great, but it's very hard to find any, I mean, I love reading and I love long reads. um, And that's obviously a long read does not work well on Instagram and no one wants to read a caption and then it says like continued in comments like no one like no one on Instagram is there for continued in comments essay captions like they want a line or two like just say I'm ratchet nasty whatever and like let's move um (laughs) so I thought I just thought oh this is like a different format and I think what's also really cool about the email is that people can read it whenever they want so I send it on a Sunday Sunday they're busy and they want to read it on a Monday or Tuesday a lot of people tell me they just like save it and then throughout the week they'll go back and like read it or they like need a new podcast so they'll go through the old ones and find a new podcast I just wanted to create it because I was like well need to create something useful and it was a distraction and fun and the other thing that I was seeing at the time and I'm sure that you know it from magazines was when I started blogging and going to an amazing events um if I went to an Estee Lauder event it would be 40 people from magazines and newspapers and like proper journalists and they really were asking questions about, you know, the formula and when is this coming out? Like it was proper, it was like properly had your feminine, fair lady, Cosmo, Marie Claire. Like there were so many magazines. I got to say those people weren't necessarily always the nicest. Um, (laughs) And so you'd have 40 people from journalists, from magazines and newspapers, and then you'd have like five, maybe 10 bloggers influencers and from going to events and seeing events online now I mean the magazine and print and journalism has been like absolutely destroyed um, in this country like it really doesn't exist and you have the Cape Times you have the Argus Daily Maverick I think is brilliant you have News 24 but I mean what magazines still exist or what what amazing kind of curated opinion driven platforms still exist and I was just like there aren't any and I think that at the point brands as much as they want to work with people they're going to want to work with platforms that are bigger than one person's opinion so I am hoping to create something I mean currently it's just a newsletter but something that's bigger than because at the moment it's generally a lot of it is my opinion um, or like, and it's what's fascinates and interests me. And it's not even um, my own content. It's sharing other people's content that I think is amazing. But I think there's a space that is missing of people curating really interesting things because our attention is so all over the place and going on Instagram, it is hard to find that content. And even if you think about, that you, you saw someone post a really amazing brownie recipe on Instagram. It's so hard to go back and find old content. You're like, oh, who posted it? Who posted it? And I didn't save it and I didn't create a Falco recipe. It's like, how am I ever going to find that again? Um, so I think it's just interesting how the internet has kind of 
changed and shifted and some things have become much easier like Netflix you wanted to watch a series and some things have become a lot more complicated like you used to be able to go and buy a magazine and read amazing articles and see amazing recommendations for books and it was all in one place and it only cost you 20 30 rands and now to try get that curated down version where people have gone through all this content saying this is the best of the best I feel like that just doesn't exist anymore yeah, and even like the websites that that were yeah. sort of like that are like going like heavy content content on everything. Yeah, I started reading um Bustle. I was looking at it a lot for for work stuff, and yeah, and it started out and it's great and it was curated, great content for like you know women in their twenties and probably more twenties, but like women, like like young adults and it was so great, but then they just started wanting to do everything. So like a TV show would come out and they will have an article on anything possible about that TV show. Like, um, I didn't watch this Emily in Paris thing, but like, you know, they'll be like, what happens after Emily goes to Paris? What, where did she get that one hat? So like, you know, it's, it's very specifically SEO driven. Yeah. But, but and also, cut, yeah, they, they just need the content. They need people clicking all the yeah. time so they can sell ads. But it's like, but it's like if I want to go there and I want to read about Emily in Paris, I have to read 50 articles. Like, it's like it doesn't have, it's just too much. Whereas I think it like, if too much. like Hello Giggles back in the day was so great. They used to like, the co- like I felt like every content piece was written for me and all their verticals and it was just so well curated but also yeah. changed, became so much more like obviously SEO and I, I understand it but also it's like there is no, you're right, there's no space where you can go to and feel like, you know, I'm now going to sit down and this is content for me. And everything's going to be good. Mm, exactly. like absolutely every piece of everything that you read and it's and like it's the same for me like when I'm going and finding the content like there are lots of like I read the New York Times I go to the Atlantic I go Wired has amazing articles there's a lot of shit on Wired mm. <laughs> like there's a lot of I don't want to call dumb articles but not great articles and like occasionally they do these articles that these long reads that are just like mind-blowing like how good the yeah. journalism is and the reporting and the fact checking and it's unbelievably good but there's so much other stuff to wade through and to an extent it also doesn't make any sense to me because who is reading all these articles these like I feel like there's so much filler and like so much yeah fluff. and it's like if someone actually had to sit and think about it like unless you clicked it by mistake and it was clickbait and it had a really good title like legitimately no one wants to read this so you're paying someone to write this content upload this content find a nice cover image for it and then to tweet it facebook it all of these things but it's not adding value in any way to anyone exactly i subscribe to a lot of sites rss feeds just so that i can you know don't miss out but, yeah <laughs> but like like i have it in like an i know reader or whatever app yeah. and it's just like i'm so grateful for the markers read because because <laughs> sometimes i want to be like brave and i'm like i'm gonna go through all the articles and just like you know just read the titles and see if there's anything i can never make it through because never like, <laughs> it's too much it is too much and especially if you're like interested in a lot of things like you yeah. can't there's no way to kind of properly find your home and yeah you're right basically i'm what i'm saying with all my ranting is you're right 
Um, so I think, so the one thing that I have found, the way that I'm finding most of my amazing content these days is Twitter, which is why mm. I will never delete it. But I've really curated, for me, I feel like the most amazing feed. Like I follow the most interesting diverse group of people most of them are not from South Africa like I know there are a lot of people who use it as like a networking fun thing Mm. and that is fun to see but like reporters from the New York Times like stationed in Lebanon and like this person from CNN and this person from Wired and um, this person from BuzzFeed News and these people who work in venture capital in Silicon Valley and this person and it's like I'm just like I find like the um, like the amazing content they share that like I don't have to go and curate it and then I just sit and I heart everything and then I go back like once or twice a week and I like go through all those articles open them read through them and it just it's like it's such a pleasure that it's like they're creating this because they're so smart and they're so well read and this is the best thing that they've read Mm. um and they're sharing it and I'm finding this amazing content but I, I have found that like most people do not get Twitter. Um, most of my friends are not on Twitter. Mm. <laughs> they don't get it. And when they've ever tried it, they're like, I just, I, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> I think it's like an acquired knowledge though. It's like something that you have to do for a little bit yeah. before you which can. Is why, like, which is why like there's so many brands who like have been approaching me and wanting to do Twitter lately. Mm. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what you're trying to get yourself in for. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just as, like, can I, like, I don't know what your budget is, but I don't think you can afford this. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I can't even imagine. I'm like, you have to be so creative to be able to make it on Twitter as a brand. That, but I also think, like, I think that Twitter is the easiest place to make it now. It? So in South Africa, just in terms of, like, I think brands got so shit scared of Twitter and how badly it can go. That basically all of them got off of it besides answering customer complaints. So like yeah. Virgin Active, Telcom, F and B will reply when you're like, This is the worst service I ever got in my life. They'll be like, We're so sorry. Where are you gonna DM? But like I have not seen any South African brands. I mean maybe Nando's is still doing it or chicken licking or it's a mm. great job. But um I'm not seeing any South African brands really do anything on Twitter and I think to actually use it not necessarily as you tweeting but to find the influential people in their spheres in Twitter and get and almost like back in the day where a brand would send a PR like a press release to influencers and literally like build a relationship with these like really influential people on Twitter because there's some people who have like 20, 30, 40,000 followers and like it gets retweeted and shared and it's insane the reach that you can get and I think you can mm. get much better reach than Instagram which is no way like you can share it to stories but you'll never get that volume yeah like you get on Twitter when like a tweet really blows up like it, when the tweet blows up like you're being seen um and I think creating those um relationships with those like quite influential people and whether they want to have a joke about something or whether they're sharing your link and but like in a clever way I think there's something like amazing that could be done there. I think Netflix South Africa does quite well on Twitter because I it might just yeah. be what I see because obviously I consume I, I follow a lot of entertainment based things, 
But my I sister's can't friend, see. My sister's friend used to do some of the Netflix stuff. I don't know if he still does it, but he's so funny. And whenever I would see the tweets, I was like, I bet you that's that person. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. Yeah, it's, it's like I enjoy it. And they do like, they get constant engagement because, I mean, I hardly ever engage with brands on Twitter, but I will yeah. play their games. I will yeah. <laughs> make a comment on something they say because it's it's done so like smartly or it's done in a way that relevant. Yeah, it's like yeah. it feels relevant. It feels local. It feels like the person is an actual tweeter who's tweeting you. It doesn't yeah. feel like they went to an ad agency and they were like, "This is what we want to say," mm-hmm. and like we, we can only have two hundred and eighty characters, so we're going to break it down into four steps. And here's your thing: it's like people who are rarely getting Twitter are using it. And, like, that's, like, such an acquired skill set. Yeah. So they, like, hired very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. So so what else have you been watching lately? What else have I been watching? I started The Sopranos for the second time in March. I should say in stage five. And I am now on season six again. I think it's... Like, like it's the most brilliant show but I have I mean I found it heavy the first time and it's even heavier this time so I'm taking like I mean and the, hour, the episodes are an hour and it's just mm. unbelievable but it's 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 not it's not a show I've ever been able to binge um so I've been really enjoying watching that again and then I watched The Americans I don't know if you've seen that I haven't um, seen it I've been I meaning started- to like for the oh, longest time. I love the premise of it. Like the premise is genius. It's basically these Russian mm. spies living in America as Americans during the Cold War. And it's so nice because they know cell phones. It's literally, <laughs> they use a landline, um, a fax machine. Um, they dress like the cars are very the 80s. And I feel like there's not a lot of shows and stuff that are based in the 80s because it's probably like mm. too close to our, our time like lots of stuff from the 70s and 60s but the 80s are different and it's just it's like I watched I watched the first season probably like one twice two or three times like ages ago and I just never got into it and then I really wanted something that was substantial but also entertaining um and I watched, started watching it again, and then I just like went on these binges, and I think they like six seasons, and I went through it pretty fast, and it was excellent. The ending, it like you, the, you can see the people who put it together like really crafted it. Like mm. it's so well thought out from the music, and the the disguises are so good. <laughs> so that's like Kerry Russell and Matthew, Matthew Rice, I think. Uh, Is it Rice? Freeze? Do you know they got married? In real yeah. Life? Did they get married? Yeah, they got married in real life. Um, and when you watch, the, there's also, I got to say, there's a lot of nudity and there's a lot of sex. This is not a PG-13 <laughs> show. And when you watch, you're like, oh, these people are married. <laughs> <laughs> They're very happily married. <laughs> oh, no, I love that. So what other documentaries do you recommend? Because I know you said you, you're not a big fan of them anymore. But, well, the biased ones. But which ones have you enjoyed? I mean, when I say the biased ones, you know, like, those ones that, like, really, like, yes. light a fire under you. And you're like, <laughs> I'm going vegan tomorrow. Like, like it's like, wow, just, like, and I'm, like, I, yeah. Uh, what else have I watched? Uh, I watched The Last Dance with the Michael Jordan. Mm. 
I think that was like a 10 pass. I thought that was excellent. I mean, I think they definitely were very nice to him. I think he is a little bit more of an asshole than they necessarily make out. Like, I do think that he did come across, obviously, as arrogant and yeah. all of those things, but he was also the greatest player. And there was also, like, a lot of history in it. I mean, I never, obviously, with Africa, we don't have basketball or whatever. But, like, I didn't know the history with his father and his father being murdered, and that was just so crazy to me. Um and just his friendship with Scottie Pippen. And, the, and I really liked how Dennis Rodman and like how the other people on the team also were spotlighted. Like it wasn't just about him. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to say, I was so inspired afterwards. Like all I really wanted to do was go and buy a basketball. And I was like, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just want to, I, I want to play basketball. Um, and then I also watched the most, you have to watch it if you haven't seen it. It's called A Secret Love. It's a Ryan Murphy produced um, documentary on Netflix. It's, a, it's about these. It's about a lesbian couple who I think are in their seventies or eighties, and they've been together like forty, fifty years. And for most of the time, they're not married. And for most of the time, it's been in secret. And their family thought, or were under the impression, I guess, with, that they were friends who lived together. Mm. And oh my God, you will cry. Um, it's just. It's, it's about love and getting older and the one isn't so mobile anymore mm. and those kind of choices you have to make when you reach a certain age where you can't necessarily live in the place that you want to live and also like I mean imagine coming out at like 80 or something mm. um, it's just it is the most beautiful heartbreaking wonderful documentary definitely watch that one and then I also watched Octopus Teacher which I think everyone in South Africa has watched now. I haven't I seen it. it. Um, <laughs> I, like, I know beautiful. I'm going to. but It is oh. beautiful. But like this, there's something a bit weird about it also. <laughs> like, but, like he starts off saying like he was inspired to make this film about this octopus because he, at some point, I don't know if he went to work with the sand or the Bushman or like what the situation was. But he, that's like what drove him to be in nature. But it's just so weird because the sand never like befriended an antelope. Like mm. they were very much in nature and tracking it. And they were hunting to kill because that's how they lived. And that was, they were part of nature. They weren't necessarily trying to become friends with yeah. <laughs> nature and the antelope. But I think they very much understand and understood their part in the whole ecosystem on life and wildlife and I think like sometimes white people as Caucasians like we want to just be it's just I don't know if they necessarily understanding being at one with nature doesn't necessarily have to become friends with an octopus (laughs) um it's just a bit weird in that way and I also wasn't like I'm not convinced that it was one octopus the entire time because when you see how that octopus changes colors and shapes and whatever, I'm like, you cannot tell me that like the whole time that was one octopus. Like, there could have been like 40 octopuses down there. Like, how do you know it's always the same one? Like, I just don't get it. But you should definitely watch it and tell me your opinion. I will. I will definitely. I was talking to another guest about like how Netflix has kind of made it cool to watch documentaries because I never yeah. watched animal documentaries, not animals, not plants, like hardly ever. Not and, plants. You know, because I, I really never love, seen a plant documentary. 
I watched them. The co- I don't know. I'm loving. I, oh, Chase and Carl. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I, uh, bio is my second worst subject at school. Let me not. Let me not expose myself. Um, no, I watched that, and I was bawling for that movie. And I'm like, this is not something I would watch ever. But because Netflix kind of like promotes it to you, but I also feel like it's good. Like even though it's not something that algorithm-wise I would yeah. watch, the fact that they promoted it, I'm like, oh, let me just try it out. And it was amazing. And the same thing is like, so many people are talking about this octopus thing. I'm going to end up watching it. I know myself. And I think what's nice about a documentary is like, it's generally entertaining, but you also learn something. Yeah. Like a movie is just pure entertainment generally. But a documentary, like you really can, like, generally, like the, the beautiful and also just learning. Um, mm. I mean, that, that Coral one, the Chasing Coral, like, really shocked me. Like, I really didn't know it was that bad. I don't know if you watched a documentary called Blackfish about no. the killer whales at uh, SeaWorld. I mean, like, like I mean, I've always loved documentaries, and I always seek out documentaries. I mean, I don't know if you watch also the Amy Winehouse one. Yes, but like love documentaries, that. like they make me feel a type of way. Like they, like they really do. I mean, also I don't know if you watch the Ava um, one thirteen. Yes, about. I mean, it's just like you never would have like. It's so much easier. I don't. It's so much easier to consume mm. it in a documentary when it's been edited like that than. Like, it's very hard to get people to read books about these kind of things. Yeah. Or, I mean, we have podcasts now, and I think the podcast format is amazing. But I think documentaries, you really can tell such a, a powerful story in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Because I really love, like, documentaries about people. Yeah. Because like, they tell people's lives or whatever. And I love documentaries about people and also cults. <laughs> I love cults. <laughs> The vow. Okay. What's the vow? I think I've been I've been hearing it's a I'm, I'm, I think it's about a sex cult. I think it's like currently airing in the US, so people are talking about it a lot. The vow documentary. Oh, so I watched oh, this. Docu- oh, it's about. Oh, I know who it's about. I've read yes. so much. I watched about- the thing on on Showmax. Did you have you see that? Like a Showmax. I haven't. They had like a show, but it's just made by them. So it was like very much from their oh, perspective. Oh my God. Yeah. And Have you, do you follow Hannah Bromfman on Instagram? No. So she's like this huge influencer in America. Um, and her family is one of like the wealthiest families from Can- Canadian money. And like her, I think it's like her step aunts are like two of the women who gave this guy, like I think it was like $65 million or something. And that's why they were like, could continue going for such a long time. And she's like this really cool influencer that everyone follows. And I was like, <laughs> literally this cult is like so close to like, it's, I, I've, I've listened to some podcasts about it and it's, it's truly crazy. Even from oh, his perspective, yeah. it seemed crazy, man. Like, I couldn't like, always seem crazy. Like I just, I, and, that's, and that's kind of why I find them fascinating. It's just how people get into them. And obviously from the outset, it never seems that crazy else people would enjoy. Mm. I, I sometimes feel like it doesn't seem that crazy, but the person was always like a narcissist or a psychopath or whatever the situation was. And then they like, as they get power, more and more power, yeah. they just get more and more power hungry. Like I'm listening to this other podcast called Short Creek. 
and it's about I've just gone blank on what his name is, but I think they're like the fundamentalist Mormons. Oh, okay. and it is just absolutely wild. This podcast about like what they believed in, and then this guy came to power, and he was just so much more strict than any of them had ever been before. Um, and it turns out he was also, I think, marrying and sleeping with fourteen-year-olds. Like, sure. and he eventually got arrested. But a lot of the people in the community thought he was framed because in the past they had not really gotten along with law enforcement and they still believed him. And it's just, and while other people are like, no, he broke my family up, he tore us apart. And it's like, how does this, they've, they've always been a small religious group. Like how do they come back together when they can't even agree on if this guy was good or bad? Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I'm going to yeah. listen to that. It's that's it's really it's really good. It's but it's so interesting the way people's minds work. Like with all of these, I listened to a podcast on Manson. But yeah. It was so interesting, like how in depth they went, and I was like, this guy really, like for me, I'm just I just can't. Like you know, some of them are like highly educated, have a lot of money, and you can kind of see it. But Manson, I was like, Mm-mm. he's just a mess of a human. But it was so interesting how he got this this group together of people okay, that you, were like okay, on the you have to, okay you have to read a book i read it last year it's called chaos and i just googled it to get the full name <laughs> it's called chaos charles manson the cia and the secret history of the 60s i read it last year and it's like not a complete book in that like he doesn't really necessarily come to like definitive answers mm. of this is 100 percent what happens but they basically think that he may have been involved in like mind control with the cia and the cia doctor and psychologist who oh wow he like they were all charles manson and this very famous psychologist were very were like basically at one point based in the same building and because no one has ever been able to figure out how this very uncharismatic man mm. who was I mean, he was really short he wasn't necessarily good looking like why did these people absolutely flock to him he wasn't extremely well educated and not only did they like believe in him and all want to sleep with him or but like the fact that he could get like 18, 19 year old girls to literally stab someone like 70, yeah. whatever times. Like, and they appeared to be normal. And they, like, how did that happen? Like, how did he control? Like, he wasn't even there. Like, he wasn't mm. even, and they didn't have cell phones. He wasn't phoning them and telling them to do it. Like, they literally went on their own, seemingly on their own accord and did it. And it's a very fascinating book. And I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I've, I've written it down. Definitely going to check that out. So, okay, wait, I have to wrap up. Um, what would you say is your all-time favorite series? All-time favorite, Sopran- Sopranos and The Wire. Okay. I don't know if you've ever watched The Wire. Um, no. Oh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just, it's genius. It is so long. Um, but basically every season, it's basically about drugs and poverty and kind of the vicious cycle of drugs and poverty and Mm. why people who are stuck in that are not able to necessarily get out of it and each season base focuses on a different segment of it so you're always following the same characters but one season will focus heavily on the police another season will focus Mm. heavily on 
the docks and like where the drugs are coming in and another season will focus very heavily on schools and education and then another season will focus very much on like the young up-and-coming drug dealers and then the kind of drug dealers who graduate and are running the other younger ones and like the and the poverty and like and it's it's just it's genius how he put it together from all these different people's perspective and it's just the corruption and everything that goes involved and who's making money and who's not making money and the, the whole thing with the war on drugs and how much people who were taking crack or heroin at the time were seen as these complete failures of society where I think now when you look at America and you see like the opioid, um, I mean, huge problem. I feel like they don't treat those kind of people mm. the same as they treat someone who was like taking crack on the street. And I think they very much now are like, Oh, well that person is addicted and they got it from their doctor and they see it from a different point of view. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all drugs and people are addicted to it. And the, the cycles of poverty that keep people selling drugs, buying drugs and not being able to leave that environment and how it's pretty much in part like the police can keep taking down like individual drug dealers here or there they're never going to topple a system Mm. where there's such huge demand for it and also in terms of supply people want to sell it because they can make more money than they'll ever make you know working at a restaurant or working anywhere else and then also the sense of power that you get and it's just and the corruption is it's just it's excellent i highly highly recommend the wire (laughs) have you seen the deuce i think it's made by the same people why does that sound so familiar i don't think i have um but it's it's probably not as good but um (laughs) but it's also like well it's about the porn industry oh is it about Times square and stuff yes yes I haven't watched it, but I've been meaning to watch it. Like, I don't know. I don't know the reception to it, but I loved it. Like, I thought it was brilliant. Okay. You need to watch another book recommendation that I have to give you <laughs> um, not to watch. It's called, it's called Thy Neighbor's Wife. And it came out in the early 80s. And it was an absolute scandal when it came out. But it basically explores, like, sexuality um, in America. And, like, literally from... <sighs> the like advent of like nudie magazines to porn and how it was outlawed and how Hugh Hefner started Playboy, how much money he was making. And then, and it kind of works up to what kind of free love society in the seventies and swinging mm-hmm. and non-monogamy and all of these things. And it's just, it's, I read it last year and it was it's such a good book in terms of the history of like all of like what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, no, it's it's it was so interesting. Like, and they also talk about like they talk about the police. They the police. They talk about politicians. Like, there's like an aspect on that because and it has a lot of the same actors as The Wire as well. I think. And then they they you well, do then cross I would it definitely to watch the the brothels. They going into like porn. How porn was created. They talk about the HIV crisis in because it goes like seventies yeah. and eighties, and excellent. Even though it has James Franco, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> even though it has James Franco <laughs> and he plays twins <laughs> but like one I swear one twin is like hotter than the other one and I don't understand it because I don't even find James Franco that hot but like <laughs> I am so confused by that because the only person who's played twins successfully I'm sorry is Lindsay Lohan 
in the parent trap. No one else has done a good job of that. <laughs> Mary Kay and Ashley. <laughs> they are actual twins. I know. <laughs> they didn't have to try too hard. <laughs> I just remember watching the parent trap as a kid and being like, this is, she's the greatest actress of all time. I think it took me like a minute before I realized that she was, there was, there was one person. I mean, like, why, like, why, like, as a director, why would you go to so much trouble just to find twins? Like, the fact that they were, like, so obsessed with her, they were like, we're going to reshoot this entire thing twice. (laughs) What an effort. It's quite wild. Like, I'm CGI, that was involved. And actually not the same age as her. I feel like they are. Like, they could have just used them. But they did do, like, a lot of movies. So maybe they wanted something different. Shame. They weren't the greatest actresses. <laughs> but they made Very bank. Different. They made bank with those home I mean, movies. I'm, I mean, I don't know if you ever watched. They had one called It Takes Two. Which like was one of my... They, that was, like, their best movie by far. I mean, it was basically an album of the parent trap. Oh, I was obsessed with that movie. But, like, everything they did after that, and, like, when they went to, like, Rome and Paris, like, it was all really cute, but it wasn't... But I, I actually kind of find it so fascinating when I look at like the young influences today. Like you look at mm. like Charlie D'Amelio and her yeah. sister, and like Addison Ray, and like basically trying to recreate in a way like that Olsen twin franchise. And then after the Olsen twins and like how they had Miley Cyrus for Disney, like how much fucking money Miley Cyrus must've made for Disney as Hannah Montana and the Jonas brothers. Like, and what I think is so cool now is that people aren't giving up their name and like licensing their face to Disney and Disney's making like $5 billion mm. off it. Like that they really like owning their own platform and products and at least that they can own, I mean, because it's, I mean, also in terms of the genius what they did. Like they yeah, were so ahead of their time on everything. They were. Because I mean, like with those little movies, they just made money and then they had so many different products. They had books. They had like um, they didn't they did CDs even and then they had cosmetics yeah and they had cosmetics and they had things they had their like own clothing line from Walmart yeah it's so amazing how they were able to take that enormous success enormous Mm. portion that they made and like seemingly become well-adjusted adults who have the most amazing fashion line and are taken quite seriously for what they do and produce beautiful clothes and. It's, it's like, I mean, that's generally not the end of the child star story mm. <laughs> to become like, oh, and like, I mean, they're still famous, but they're not followed and hounded. Like it seems like, yeah, and it, like a nice life. And they're famous, like sort of, it feels like they are famous on their own. What is the word I'm looking for? Like they, uh, they are famous. On their own terms almost. Yeah. On their own terms. Yeah. So like. Yeah. They allow, I mean, they, they're so God. We don't know anything about them other than what their sister, the actress, like, reveals. <laughs> like, the other thing we didn't talk about is how, did you watch the Paris documentary? The no, Paris I did not. on YouTube. I have Whoa. not watched that. I just yeah, saw the clip where she talks, that. like, with a normal voice, and I was like, what? I love the simple I, life. So I think, like, you, the level to which you need to watch it is just, like, I watched it thinking, oh, like, this is a joke. I'm going to watch five mm. minutes. And, like, I cannot sit through a, par- a documentary that's so self-indulgent about Paris Hilton and her life. And it turned out to be something completely different from... I was not expecting any of the twists and turns 
that happened in that documentary on any level. And I think, I think what's good about it is that I think so many people who watch it will see through not necessarily the trauma that happened to her, um, but the facade of fame and people thinking like she's made it because she's rich mm. and she's skinny and she's beautiful and she has absolute from the outside it looks like she has absolutely everything she could ever want. And then when you take a, a hard long look at it, like she doesn't have any of the things that everyone that she wants. Yeah. She has the money and she has the looks and she has the fame. But when it comes to relationships and trusting people and those things that keep you warm at night are things that that she struggles with okay i'm gonna watch that i've, I've written all of the stuff you said down even though i'm gonna <laughs> listen to this again i'm i, I still wrote it i'm like don't forget but um i've written down the juices in big <laughs> without the s the juice the juice okay the juice not the juices just a juice <laughs> <laughs> But just look for show with James Franco playing twins. That's Maggie Gyllenhaal. And it's Maggie Gyllenhaal yeah. in it. She's actually oh. like a producer and stuff on it as well. It's, oh, I love her. Yeah, no, she's, she's excellent so in it. Like, but yeah, it's 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 a really good show. <laughs> but thank you so much for for being on the podcast. Like, I really really appreciate this. Thank you so much. I had such a fun time chatting to you. <laughs> Yeah, me too. This was really great. I was very I nervous, but um, this was good. I can't believe what the time is. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I just looked at the time. Wow. Okay, this is the world's longest podcast. That was our interview with Talia. You can find her at at Talia Goldberg on Twitter and Instagram. You can sign up for her weekly newsletter, Curiously Curated, at curiouslycurated.co.za. But before we head out, as always. What have you been crushing on this week, Rebecca? So this week I've been watching, I haven't watched much, but I've been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine as like a way of keeping me company while I was doing other things just because I was quite busy. But it's still, for me, it's still such a good show. And it's all, it's well, well written, it's funny, mm. witty, and stupid at the same time. Who's your, who do you like the best? Hmm, I actually think um, Holt is my favorite. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I think, yeah, because he's face? just like, huh? Who's your face? I think I like Terry. Terry. Uh. <laughs> just because he's such a softie, which I guess um, we we got used to him in um, Malcolm in the Middle as the father. Oh, you mean everybody hates Chris? Everybody hates <laughs> Chris. Yeah, that's it. Because I was like, okay, yeah, Malcolm like, in the Middle. Yes. To us. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean. And um, making my way downtown, white chicks. Mm. <laughs> um, and in that time, he hasn't aged either. At yeah. least in my mind, he looks exactly the same, the same way he did twenty years ago. Um, but yeah, see, did you see that episode watching. where he, where Amy, I don't know if she thought she was pregnant or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she and Rosa kept like whispering to each other, and Terry thought that they were making fun of him, like his daughters make fun of him. Like <laughs> Cagney and Lacey make fun of him. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't watched that episode again. This is only the second time, but oh my word, I can imagine. Was he quite sensitive to it? Yeah, like... it's the first episode of season <laughs> seven. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, okay. I'm only in season two now. Oh, for the okay. second time, yeah, for the second time. Um, <laughs> what about you? Like, I don't know. I've just been in like the mood for some like light comedies. So mm. I watched Seriously Single, 
on Netflix. It's an African movie, a rom-com. Oh. And like I quite enjoyed it. This like the main character annoyed me so much. I was ready to strangle. But like okay. the best friend Noni was the funniest. Like I to me Morocco place, but like I was laughing so much. Like oh, if I was, man. I feel like if I didn't laugh for her, I would like I would have hated the movie. Yeah. But then I was invested in her like side plot. So like I wish she was the main character. But I enjoyed that. And I also watched Little on Showmax, which got that little girl from Blackish. And oh, like, okay. It's the day, and yeah. like it's like this lady, this little girl, puts a curse on her, and she and she turns into herself as like a ten-year-old, but she's like Whoa. this high executive person. Yeah. And now as she's ten-year-old. Oh, that would be weird. And like, <laughs> I really like Regina Hall. You know. Remember her from um, Scary Movie? Yeah, <laughs> I really like her, and she plays the older version. So yeah, I was, I mean, yeah, it was okay, <laughs> but it wasn't like a good laugh, a good like stress reliever type thing. So yeah, but yeah, that's all from us. You can find me at Karen Walby on Instagram and at Karen Walby's with an S on Twitter. Sign up for my newsletter, Wildest Dreams, at wildestdreams.substack.com. The podcast can be found at, at Crushing on Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find more information about this and all our other episodes at our website, crushingonpodcast.com, and send any feedback to crushingonpod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group. Crushing on Club, where we chat about the show, celebrity news, recommendations, the whole shebang. Let us know what you think about what was discussed in this week's episode by sending us a voice note or email to crushingonpod at gmail.com. The show is produced by me, Karen, and Rebecca Barches. The show is edited and engineered by Rebecca Barches. Our logo was designed by Nathifa Maruf. And the show was created in partnership with IGN Africa. If you like the show, tell everyone that you can any way that you can. Keep up to date with all our episodes by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review the episodes on Apple Podcasts, as it helps others find the show. We'll be back next week with another in-depth conversation with a pop culture lover. See you then.